Welcome to this week's episode of the Jewish Diaspora Report. On this week's episode, we see how the Palestinian Arab population that has held the Middle East hostage for years is being left behind. Let's get started. Many of my listeners who keep up with the news coming out of the Middle East may have heard the increasing talk about normalization agreements between the Saudis and Israel. Recently, both Saudi Prince Mohammed bin Salman and Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu have suggested that the plan for normalization is imminent. Not too long ago, hopes were high for the news of a normalization deal between the Saudis and the Israelis, but those hopes were quickly dashed when the Palestinian leadership got in the way. When news broke that the two sides were close to normalization, the Saudis backed down after being accused of ignoring the Palestinian Arab plight and their grievances against the Jewish state. After a revamp of the plan and some lip service to the Palestinian Arab cause, we see both parties speaking much more about the eventual deal between the two countries. The history of Israel and Saudi relations alongside the greater Arab world is a very tumultuous one. So how did we get here today? Anyone who's listened to my many previous podcasts will likely be familiar with the history of the Middle East. Following the colonial powers planning their exit, they promised many people many things. This included the British promise to the Jews for a state in the British Mandate of Palestine, as well as many Arab peoples given various unified and independent states. This led, following the Second World War, to the partitioning of the land and creating of many modern Arab states today. The countries including Jordan, Egypt, Lebanon, and Syria were created by the colonial powers in the 1940s as they pulled out their colonial troops from around the world. For more information on this, please check out our previous podcast, A Free Palestine, History of the Region. After the creation and funding of these new Arab states, there was the question of the territory known as the British Mandate of Palestine. I know that we use this term often, especially in this podcast, but we never unpack it. But maybe we should in the event that the name isn't clear or we have some new listeners to the podcast. Prior to World War I, the area known today as Israel was a province under the occupation of the Ottoman Turkish Empire, one of many colonizing forces that controlled the area. But following World War I, the Ottoman Empire collapsed, and the Allies took control of the entire Middle East. The Ottoman province of Syria, a shortened form of the intentional insulting name given to the region by the Roman colonizers, Syria-Palestina, was given to the British under a mandate. This is why it's referred to as the British Mandate of Palestine. The British had taken responsibility to control the area, but only until they decided how they would implement the Balfour Declaration into action. The Balfour Declaration, of course, being the creation of a Jewish state on the land. Unfortunately, the growing hostilities in the Arab world, especially amongst the Arab people now living in the British Mandate of Palestine, caused this process to be an almost impossible task. The British eventually pawned off this responsibility to the newly established United Nations. By 1948, the British mandate ended and the United Nations agreed to partition the land into two states, an independent Arab state and an independent Jewish state. The Arab people living in the area declined. If a state came at the expense of giving up land to the Jewish state, they were not interested. They also knew that the Arab states around the newly declared state of Israel who had been created and armed by former colonizers for years, were not going to accept a Jewish state and would come in to destroy any chances of that state existing. As we know, this is exactly what happened in 1948 with the Independence War, also known to the Arab world as the Nakba, or Catastrophe. It is known to the Arab world as the Catastrophe because multiple modern-equipped and heavily trained armies of the Arab countries 
lost to a much lesser prepared and equipped underground fighting force of Israelis and Holocaust survivors. The armies of Jordan, Egypt, and Saudi Arabia, among many others within the Arab League, pledged to destroy the Jewish state, but failed. Rather than getting an independent Arab state that they would have had under the UN, the Palestinian Arabs got nothing. Any land that was not defended by the Israelis and made into the Jewish state was taken over by the Jordanians and the Egyptians, who had every opportunity to create an Arab state, the one that the UN had promised, but never did. In 1967, the Arab League, under the fiery anti-Israel rhetoric of the Egyptian President Nasser, brings the Middle East to the brink of war. Again, the Arab world, including Jordan, Egypt, Saudi Arabia, and others, attack Israel to finish what they promised in 1948, but again failed. After the failure of the 1967 war, even more pride was on the line, and they attacked again in 1972 during the Yom Kippur holiday. The same players, Egypt, Jordan, Saudi Arabia, and more, attack Israel one last time and lose. Needless to say, history has shown that the neighborhood of the Middle East has been a bit unfriendly, and that this isn't just a result of some misunderstanding or fear, but actually official policy. After the loss to the Israelis in 1967, the Arab League held a meeting in Khartoum, Sudan, in order to discuss the issue of Israel and its Arab neighbors. All the usual suspects were involved and agreed to what is now infamously known as the Khartoum Resolution. All of the Arab states agreed to the three no's. No peace with Israel, no negotiation with Israel, and no recognition of Israel. Interestingly, the scholar in me wants to point out the requirement to create such a resolution could suggest that there was some concern within the Arab League that some members may actually consider peace, negotiation, or recognition of Israel. If it was so obvious that none of them wanted to do these things, why would they need to have a whole summit to agree that no one will do any of these three things? Most Arab states lived under the Khartoum Agreement for many years. The first to break this resolution was Egypt in 1979, when a formal peace was signed at the White House under President Jimmy Carter. Needless to say, they officially recognized Israel's right to exist and accepted peace talks. In this peace agreement, Egypt included a section that Israel would agree to four-way talks between Egypt, Jordan, and the Palestinian Arab representatives about a future state. Since 1979, Israel and Egypt have had a successful peace and great economic success with over $100 million in trade in 2021 alone. Following Egypt, many years later, the next country to give up on the Khartoum Agreement was Jordan. Jordan recognized Israel and enters into a peace negotiation. In 1994, under the pressure and guidance of the United States President Bill Clinton, Jordan agrees to a peace deal with Israel. Part of the peace deal also did include discussions with Egypt and the Palestinian Arab refugees. The countries of Jordan and Israel have had a lasting and stable peace that has been very economically helpful for both countries. In 2021, Israel had exported $71 million worth of goods to Jordan, and Jordan has exported an incredible $343 million worth of goods to Israel. Since the 1990s and Jordan's peace agreement with Israel, there's been very little action in the way of Middle East peace. That was until 25 years later. There are many reasons why little has been done to move towards giving up on the Khartoum Agreement among the greater Arab world. First and foremost has to be that Arab society has been fed a steady diet of anti-Israel hate, and it is difficult to have governments who can pitch the idea of starting negotiations with a state that they have demonized for so many years, even if they can see the prosperity that it will bring. It takes generational change to ensure that the old hardliners who grew up with the wars against the Jewish state no longer being a majority. Even those countries who mistreat their own Palestinian Arabs in their own countries use the Palestinian Arab plight against the state of Israel, which becomes a barrier to peace talks. 
In some cases, it can also be that some leaders, like the Palestinian Authority, Iran, and others, will use Israel as their reason to stay in power. As long as they have a scapegoat or an enemy that they can use to scare their people and suggest that only they are able to protect them, it keeps them in power. How can you go from blaming Israel for everything wrong in the world and then make peace with them? However, despite this, it seems that many countries are secretly interested in working with Israel in a collaborative way, even if they need to hide it from their own people. Even Jordan, before making peace, secretly worked with Israel to fight the PLO and their terror organizations who were working within Jordanian territory. In the year 2020, history was made with a new Arab peace agreement, the first since the 1994 Jordanian peace agreement. Under the Trump administration, the Abraham Accords were revealed, although it was not something that happened overnight. One year prior, at the 2019 Warsaw Conference, the U.S., along with a number of Middle East states, came together to discuss the issue of the growing threat of Iran against Israel and fellow Arab states, mostly through their state-sponsored terrorism. Many of the Arab states in the region may outwardly have anti-Israel policies, but like the old saying goes, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Many people are turning towards Israel not only due to economic benefit, but also the security and support of Israel in the West against the threat of Iran and their attempts at building nuclear arsenals. The U.S. Secretary of State at the time, Mike Pompeo, credited this meeting with the first steps towards the Abraham Accords of 2020. The Israelis had agreed to normalizing relations with four Arab nations all at one time. The Arab countries of Bahrain, Morocco, Sudan, and the United Arab Emirates had officially recognized Israel, negotiated agreements with them, and are just coming short of making official peace with Israel. The economic impacts of the Abraham Accords have already shown incredible benefits for all. The volume of bilateral trade between Israel and the UAE, as an example, is the highest of any Arab country involved in the Accords. In comparison to 2020, when the two countries signed the agreements, bilateral trade between Israel and the UAE jumped 510% in one year. And in the first half of 2022, bilateral trade between Israel and the UAE reached $1.2 billion. In an interview with then and now Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, he had stated that his goal was to stop trying to make peace with the Palestinian Arabs first before making peace with the broader Arab world. One of the key points in the peace agreements between Israel, Egypt, and Jordan was leaving the issue of the Palestinian Arabs to a future date, because had they waited for an official peace deal between the Palestinian Arabs and the Israelis, there would never have been peace between Jordan and Egypt. We have seen in the past the Palestinian Arabs have lacked legitimate peace attempts, these failing attempts could have and did stall Arab nations from doing what was best for themselves and their own people because the Palestinian Arabs were a barrier to peace. For more information on the failed peace attempts between the Palestinian Arabs and Israel, check out our earlier podcast, The Palestinian Leadership Doesn't Want Peace. This is how we got to the current situation today with Saudi Arabia, one of Israel's most interesting neighbors, one who has been involved in all of the major conflicts between Israel and the Arab world in the past. Saudi Arabia is not that far from Israel and is a powerhouse of the Middle East. Most notably, Saudi Arabia has one big issue that is also an issue for Israel, that is, the state of Iran. Saudi Arabia and Iran do not get along due to their differing sects of Islam and both struggling to be the most influential Muslim nation to control the region. During the earlier days of the Arab League, Egypt under President Nasser guided all Arab nations in a direction. Sadly, that was in the direction of constant war and failures. Today, Iran has been exporting terror to the entire Middle East with proxies in various areas, these proxies often fighting with fellow Muslims who are supported by Saudi Arabia. It is no surprise that the Saudis would want to officially begin to make peace talks with Israel. 
Not only have these peace agreements with Israel proven to be incredibly prosperous for both sides, but becoming an ally with Israel would be very strategic when fighting the rise in terror coming from Iran. Like other Arab nations before, Saudi peace did not come out of nowhere. The Saudis have been secretly working with Israel towards common goals for some time. In fact, clandestine cooperation between the Saudis and Israelis dates back to the early 1960s, when both supported the royalists in Yemen. The Israeli intelligence services coordinated delivery of weapons and expertise to the royalists who were based in Saudi Arabia. So if the Saudis have been working with the Israelis for years, why has it taken this long to take steps towards the official normalization of relations? The answer may come from one of our previous episodes. In our previous podcast called Taking Back the Narrative, we were told by our guest about a colleague of hers who actually had the opportunity to speak with Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, and he may have given her the answer. Like many other Arab states who have very anti-Israel populations, due to the years of demonization and scapegoating, the Saudis are struggling with the majority of people refusing to accept Israel and a peace deal. However, as time passes and the younger generations grow up with less and less anti-Israel hate in their lives, and the realistic possibility for cooperation, it is becoming easier and easier for leaders to propose peace deals and prosperity with Israel. One of the last thorns in the side of any peace process is Iran and the Palestinian Arabs. Iran, one of the Palestinian terrorist group's biggest supporters, does not want the Saudis and other countries to make peace deals with Israel, further isolating themselves from even their own region. The Palestinian Arabs are realizing that their veto on Arab peace with Israel is slowly fading away. More and more countries are considering moving towards acceptance and peace with Israel, with little care about the Palestinian Arabs. Long gone are the days when no Arab nation would dare recognize Israel until they made peace with the Palestinian Arabs. This could be for two possible reasons. Firstly, the Arab world never really cared about the Palestinian Arab people and their claim to the land of Israel. This could be proven through the way that these countries treat their own Palestinian Arab populations in refugee camps, and as other countries risk making peace with Israel, it becomes easier and easier for them to do the same. And secondly, the Arab world is tired of waiting for the Palestinian Arabs to make peace with Israel, which has been a lost cause for many years as the Palestinian Arab leadership splinters and loses control over being a valid negotiator for their people. So it seems that the Arab world is going to do what's best for themselves and their own people, rather than wait for the Palestinian Arabs to come to the table. The Saudis, in their first attempt to make a peace deal with Israel, left the Palestinian Arab issue out of the deal, but this caused a great deal of bad press by the Palestinian Arabs who claimed that the Saudis were selling them out. This caused the Saudis to pause the deal with the Israelis, but that was only temporary. Not long after, the deal was back on with the added clause that the Saudis would support the Palestinian Arab cause and negotiate aspects of their issues with Israel. Critics of this deal point out that the Saudis have simply made general platitudes towards the Palestinian Arabs, which is somewhat of an accurate critique. It seems like the Saudis have stumbled upon something that their fellow peacemakers did in the 1970s and 1990s. Like Egypt and Jordan, who added vague clauses to their peace deals to, quote, eventually deal with the issues of the Palestinian Arabs, it led to a lasting peace without having it conditional, based on the Palestinian Arabs. It seems like the Saudis, after the attempt by the Palestinian Arabs to throw a wrench into the peace deal, have finally found a way to make peace without the Palestinian Arabs getting in the way. In the end, we've seen the slow thaw of relations between many Arab states and Israel. It may start as a secret collaboration against the mutual enemy, but eventually leads to the end of the Khartoum Agreement as official Middle East policy. The US, Israel, and many other countries have realized that waiting on the Palestinian Arabs to be a partner in peace is somewhat of a lost cause, and it should no longer get in the way of the peace and prosperity that comes from a lasting peace between two neighbors. 
As more and more Middle East countries make peace with Israel, it will continue to isolate and put pressure on those few states that are under the thumb of the Iranian regime. For years, Palestinian Arabs have been a barrier to peace between the Arab nations and Israel, but clearly countries are no longer willing to wait for them. Sadly, the Palestinian Arabs are being left behind as the Middle East moves forward towards peace and prosperity without them. This has been another episode of the Jewish Diaspora Report. Don't forget to check us out on social media at jdr.podcast and check out some of our other episodes on your favorite podcast source. We'll see you next time. Next time.